Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody. Kevin Olson here, the Payments Professor, and I would love to welcome you to the Payments Podium. We have a returning speaker, Andrew Gomez. You guys have heard him before. He is our global international faster payments expert. And well, today he's he's doing a special edition of the Payments Podium. And I gotta say special edition because Vsoft is working on putting together a second expert panel where we bring in experts from the industry to do live webinars to be able to discuss trending payments topics. And in this case, we're gonna be doing one on faster payment strategy. In fact, Andrew better behave today because his boss, Leo Lippis, is gonna be the one who's gonna be on the webinar when we go live to talk about faster payment strategy. But Andrew and I are talking and thinking, hey, maybe we should do a podcast and maybe we should go ahead and get the discussion started on that payment strategy before the actual event happens. So that's what you're going to be able to hear today. And I want to welcome back to the payments podium, Andrew Gomez. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for the introduction. (laughs) Absolutely. So Andrew, we're talking faster payment strategy. And well, one of the first things I just want to say when it comes to faster payment strategy, I actually go when I'm talking to people and I say blank payment strategy because there's faster payment strategy, there's digital um, payment strategy. Nowadays, I'm telling people you should be thinking of cryptocurrency payment strategy as well. And when you look at payment strategy, you know, just to get things started, do you look, hey, there's specific things just for faster or are there general things that just fall in the category of all payment strategies? Yeah, I would, I would say rather the latter. Uh, and, the, and the reason I say that is because I think with, with each financial institution, they have to come up with their own strategy because their customer segment is unique to them. And therefore, the the way they, they that individual institution needs to tailor their strategy is going to depend on their customer segment. So, what types of customers do they have? Uh, you know, are they are they focused on say, you know, really you know small merchants? Uh, do they have a, a, a better a, a larger mixture of say small medium sized merchants and maybe a few larger corporations? Are there certain market segments that they cater to? So, for example, you know, uh, high volume billers. Or maybe it's, um, you know, say a grocery store chain. I mean, all the different customer segments are going to have different needs. And so you need your strategy needs to focus on how is this specific product going to help meet my customer demands? And so I think it's hard to, it's hard to, or I guess maybe I would restructure that. I'd say it's not, I don't think it's useful to have a single strategy that is true for just all faster payments. It's, it's more about what certain solutions help certain market segments and how can I as an, as an institution uh, better help my customers? Okay. So from that, what, what I get when you say all that is, you know, there's no single strategy, but what certain solutions would help. Would a good starting point be to start and see what do your customers need and how do you go about figuring out what do they need? And because I, I've for years said, all right, people raise your hands if you've had people come in and ask for faster payments and nobody ever raises their hands. What's interesting is right before the COVID outbreak, I started getting one or two hands to start coming up and I said, they asked for faster payments. I said, yeah, they want faster clearing and settlement. It's like, wow. 
But then I would flip the question and say, have you had people ask, hey, where, where are my funds? When's this payment going to go through type deal, business or consumer? And they'd all raise their hands in and I'd say, okay, they're asking for faster payments. But how can you go about talking to your customers or I'd say even looking at the data to determine if they even need something? Yeah, and that's a really good question. And I've, I've actually spoken to a couple of banks in Europe and they've, and they've made actually very similar uh, uh, comments about, hey, you know, our customers aren't asking for it. So that's why we make it a premium product, for example. And then my first response is always, okay, but back in 2006, were you asking for an iPhone or a phone that could connect to the internet and you could download lots of apps and you could order food, book a cab and book a, a plane flight, you know, for, for two days later? The answer is obviously no. Very few people were doing it, but now everyone walks around with a smartphone in their pocket. So I think you have to do actually similar to what you said is you have to look at what kind of questions or concerns are my clients coming to me with and how can faster payments solve that, that specific issue. So for example, is someone, am I seeing a high, a high number of, let's say, wire transfers towards the end of the business day on Friday? knowing that you know, they need to get that payment out before the weekend starts, for example? Or did you see an uptick in say, same day ACH payments when, the, when that latest window first went, went out, uh, when it first went live? Um, you know, are, are, are clients coming to me and saying, hey, you know what, uh, we need some type of software to integrate uh, for our accounts receivable, accounts payable. Um, you know, little things like that. Listening to what your customers are having issues with and then taking that and seeing where is the opportunity there to give them a new service. That's really key. And I think another thing with, with, um, with at least with individual or re retail customers, what I would argue is they are looking for, for faster payments. You just don't necessarily realize it in, this, in the same way that um, you know, Uber and Lyft really took off in the U.S., and it wasn't the case that all of these people were taking cabs before. Maybe they were driving themselves. Um, but once a new service was, was there, they, they jumped at the opportunity to take it. So I, I think you have to, on the one hand, speak to your customers or at least go through some of the problems that they're, that they're bringing up with you. But you also have to think of what type of services can I now offer with these, with these new services. And here I think of things like confirmation of payee, request to pay, um, the ability to potentially um, break break payments up into more manageable um, uh, recurring payments, um, things like that. So I, I think there are some topics that are, are a little bit more general, but um, I think a really good starting point is looking at what your what concerns your customers are are having. All right, I'm going to have to ask you to take a breath because. Wow, that was a lot of knowledge right there. I mean, just so much just came out in there. Uh, and I'm with you. I'm sitting there thinking too, yeah, you're right. I didn't ask for a smartphone. But when you, I don't know if you even caught it. As you said, but this is what you could do with a smartphone. You almost told me, here's where I need faster payments from my phone for when I'm buying food, for when I'm booking the travel, for when I'm making the purchase just from my phone. Because I want to be able to, you know, in today's world, buy the food and pay for it, walk in and leave with the food too, right? And, and do it as fast as possible without touching anything. Uh, and I like how you said too, the high number of wires. So the high number of wires are the uptick in same day CH. Is that really maybe a case of it saying your customer's current activity 
is displaying where they need these new capabilities and that you should go back and look at their current activity and here's the type of indicators you're going to see like for example the high number of wires on friday the uptick in same day ch are there any other types of indicators like that that they should look at and say you know you should be paying attention to this i think another one would be a large amount of payments monday morning <laughs> right maybe you missed the cutoff friday <laughs> and you and you you submitted them the first first thing possible monday morning because uh, that tells you they probably meant to send that on Friday, or they would have sent that on Friday, but now it's it's being delayed. Uh, of course, you can then you can then almost do that every day, right? Saying that are there are there a large large amount of payments being um, submitted right at the beginning of the business day, um, because that's again maybe an issue where maybe they would have sent the payment out the night before, but it didn't mm -hmm. work out. Um, things like nights, holidays, weekends. Um, I think in the end, though, because I, I, I've heard some some banks say to me, "Well, you know, but now now we're cannibalizing our own products, right? So now now the revenue that we're getting from Wire is going to cannibalize our other our, our 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 revenue." And I'd say, "Well, you can look at it that way in the short term. Fine, you know, each Wire payment is you know a, a lot more expensive to the customer than than say a standard ACH or a faster payment." But if you don't tell your, your customer that there's another option available, they're not going to be happy when they figure it out. And eventually they will figure it out. And then they're going to say, why didn't you tell me about this? I'm switching. Um, I know that sounds a bit drastic, but I can say as a consumer, um, I switched banks when I found a, a banking offer that was half the price of my previous bank. Mm -hmm. um, and I gave them the opportunity to give me a better offer. They chose not to do it. And then I left. Um, and so if something like a wire payment, which, you know, maybe for a corporate doesn't seem all that high, I mean, at some point someone's going to realize there's another, there's another much more cheaper way to do it. And so I think it's, it builds trust with your customers to point out to them, look, there's a different way you can make payments. It'll save you money. It'll be there faster. You know, it's, it's good customer service to do that. Even if maybe it affects your bottom line. Um, I think it's it would be short-sighted to only look at that one transaction as kind of a, lo a, a net loss. Maybe you lost money on that one transaction, but you gained you gained uh, end user trust. You know, there are so many questions I just now want to ask with, with er everything that's coming out on this, because uh, I, I agree with you on the the way you approach it. And one of the things is you mentioned cannibalizing a product. One of the things I've been telling people, and I'd love to hear your view on it, is I don't see it cannibalizing. I see it complementing. And mm -hmm. I tell them the way I, I think of it is look at it and say, for example, let's go with the business customers using a lot of wires. They're going to probably continue using the wires for the reasons of they're comfortable with it, for the reasons of they have policies and procedures in place for using it. They know how it works and that's that's what they like. But you can introduce the faster payment solutions to complement the wires. And you can do it in a way that is, you know, being good to them, like you were mentioning too, being forthright with information and what's working. Because I think another issue, and I'd love your opinion on, on you know, is it complement or cannibalize, but also on integrating with accounts receivable and accounts payable. 
is that even happening right away? Or is that, you know, another hurdle that has to be come, overcome on the business side of things? Yeah, I, I agree. So first I would say, generally speaking, I don't see, I don't see faster payments as, as uh, a, a source of cannibalization. I think if we look at it from a bank perspective, if we look at the NACHA SECs, right? Um, I would say there's only really a few that really d- would directly compete with faster payments. That's the first, the first point. Second, I do think there's, there are already several barriers to this. And one of them is accounts payable, accounts receivable, uh, ERP software. Um, as you mentioned also, um, the, the, the procedures in place. Um, corporations are not going to overhaul their procedures, you know, a week after realizing that a new a new payment type is is out and available. Um, I think that's true. Um, I think, however, there are, uh, and, and this is you know now I'm talking medium to long term, as more and more businesses and and banks hook up to the system, as procedures do start to evolve, you know, in three to five years we could see oh, an, an additional value-added services such as integrated ERP systems, um, say confirmation of payee, um, request to pay. Once certain additional services are made available to this system, I think there will be an ecosystem in place to support moving some types of payments to faster payments. That said, the reason why I still don't really wanna talk about cannibalization or, or even widespread migration is because I think the number of payments is set to increase much faster than any organic migration would otherwise um, would, would cancel out. So, so the number of payments, new payments that will be made electronic over the next five to 10 years is gonna be much higher than any migration um, away from legacy payments to, to newer payment systems. So basically, the number of payments is going to continue to go up. And that's a trend that we're seeing globally, right? That number of payments goes up every year. Yeah. And it's not even a marginal thing. It's not, you know, half a percent, one percent. It's five, six, seven percent. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if, like, I I don't think that the number of, first, I don't think the number of payments will decrease at all. Second, I don't think that the number of ACH payments in the U.S. are going to decrease regardless of, of how well faster payments does in the next few years. Um, it would have to be, I mean, when we think about the size of the, of the ACH network, um, you know, it's in the billions of, of payments. Um, we're not going to see, you know, 10, 10 billion faster payments uh, by 2023. That's just not going to happen. Um, especially when we also start thinking about things like the internet of things, the subscription model, how everything's turning into a subscription service, you know, and if we think about a lot of the use cases for real time um, for for the ACH, a lot of that doesn't make sense to move to real time payments. I think a really great, a great um, example of this is recurring bill payments. Um, You know it in advance um, for the vast majority of consumers and businesses um, it's not an issue about the payment needing to go out on a Friday. Like they, they don't need that extra time to say pay their water bill. Um, and why would the biller really want to pay extra to receive, you know, a water bill, you know, same day rather than next day. 
um, you know, there are some specific use cases, right, where a consumer is, let's say, late on their on their electricity bill or their internet bill, right, and they need to make that payment so the internet doesn't get cut off. Okay, that's a, f- a fair point. Mm-hmm. Um, but what percentage of the, of bill payments fit that category? <laughs> it's a, a small number, uh, and that alone is not going to lead to the to to net migration away from ACH to to faster payments. I got to agree with you. Uh, all, all that is is huge. Um, in fact, can I ask a question though? When, when we talk about yeah, we're seeing the number of payments go up every year, and you you gave great reasons for why. Because yeah, the Internet of Things, you got so many devices making payments for you, and I don't even know how many subscriptions I've got nowadays. Especially when it comes to you know uh, Disney Plus, Netflix. If you can watch it, I probably have a subscription to it because one of my kids or my mom had had to have it, and it's under my name. But um, back, you know, a little bit more on the cannibalization type deal. Since you are more the global expert, had there been any countries that saw a payment channel that was affected or has been affected by the implementation of faster payments? Now, I want to add a little asterisk to that question. I, I don't want it to be, you know, let, let's ignore any countries where it was the government mandated the implementation and caused, hey, they caused the shift because they mandated it or they were trying to shut down another channel. But in the countries to where it was more of the open market to where, yes, now we see faster payments. Did it have an immediate direct effect on any of the other payment channels? Yeah. So there was um, in the Netherlands, the banking community came together and they decided to move move all one-off consumer-initiated payments, so SEPA credit transfers, just your your normal uh, credit transfer, um, ACH credit in American terminology. Um, all of those, those again, one-off consumer-initiated ACH credits were automatically moved to real time. Um, that I mean, I guess you could argue that was market. I mean, it was it was the banking association that or the, the banking community that made that decision, not necessarily the market in terms of the end users. Um, but we are seeing in in some more mature systems like in Sweden, uh, for example, where the number of ACH credits has actually slightly decreased over the last couple of years. Um, so I want to say that ACH credits in Sweden, um, they peaked, I think, around 2017, 2018. I'm going to say 2017. And how uh, long so did they have faster payments at that point? Uh, five years. Five years, okay. So their system went live at the end. It went live in November 2012. And I think ACH credits uh, peaked in 2017. And then for 2018 and 2019, um, the numbers dipped a little bit. Um, But it's really, we're talking a few million. Uh, I mean, okay, Sweden's also only 10 million people. But um, it's I I think it's only dipped 10, maybe 20 million um, in those two years. at the same time, however, ACH debits did not inc- decrease. They continued to increase. So, and I, I think that has to go back to my earlier point about we had to look at specific use cases. So what use cases were being served by ACH credits before that are now being served by real time or potentially other, other payment types? Maybe, maybe they moved from ACH credit to ACH debit. That's also possible. Um, in terms of what other systems have seen that, um, Maybe Denmark. 
Denmark might might see something as well. Um, well, it seems like though, it, just, uh, it seemed like to me a couple did come to mind, but I would say Netherlands is an exception because yeah. let's compare U.S. to Netherlands and let's get every bank in the U.S. together to agree on something and cause something to happen. Not going to happen. You and I, I mean, you're laughing. <laughs> I mean, people out there can't see you, but I'm like, ain't going to happen. We'd be lucky to get the top 10 together to agree on something, right? So for the Netherlands to do that, that seems like a unique, unusual situation. They probably had another purpose to it. And uh, what I was wondering, though, is if, you know, you started listing off a whole bunch right away. Yeah, that would tell me maybe we need to be concerned with this, but you didn't. It, it was just a few, and it seems like they're all in the same area, which that is an area that is looked more into the cashless side of things and very strong adopting of faster payments. So I think they're kind of unique and definitely ones we can learn from, but still there was only, you said in Sweden, a slight decrease in ACH, but the debits still continue to go up. So I, you know, I constantly say there's a place for every payment and every payment has its place. I don't see ACH going away ever. But one more yeah, thing I, I want to bring up from what you said, too, and make sure that it's clear for all of our listeners, especially those who are planning on attending the um, expert panel, is confirmation of payee. Um, some people out there may not understand what do you mean confirmation of payee. As you know, with ACH and our web debits, we do have to do account confirmation for web debits now. But... What is confirmation of payee when it comes to faster payments? Why is that something to consider as part of even a strategy? Yeah, it's a good question because it's it's you're right. I think the the answer isn't obvious. Um, <clears throat> but when you start looking at uh, the rise of fraud when when faster payments go live in a certain market, and we've seen it in most markets that fraud does does tend to increase. Um, something like confirmation of payee is, is a key way to combat fraud. So let's say, for example, um, you, get a, you get a message uh, on your phone saying, hey, this is, your, this is uh, you know, Pacific Gas and Electric. Uh, your gas bill is late. Uh, you need to send $60 uh, to make sure the gas goes on. And you see that and you think, oh, wow, you know, you're really busy. You're kind of caught unaware. Uh, and you just authorize the payment and, you know, you let it go. Um, confirmation of payee gives you the, the end user the ability to know the name attached to uh, an account that you're making a payment to. So if a fraudster pretends to be Pacific Gas and Electric, but when you open it up, it says, you know, John Adams, then you're like, wait, <laughs> that's not the name of, on the account. So clearly this is a fraud. Um, so I, I would look at it as a as a way to combat fraud um, in in faster payments. And you know, unfortunately, fraudsters are are quite clever, uh, and they their methods evolve along with the capabilities of of payment systems. Um, you know, they're they're no longer necessarily relying on skimming um, magnetic strip data. You know, from ATM machines, they've they become more sophisticated, uh, or you know, sending things over the internet. Um, and so confirmation of payee is one of, one of the tools in a toolbox to combat fraud. Um, it's also, I think, the, 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 another corollary to this is it gives people confidence that they actually know who they're paying. Even when it doesn't prevent fraud, it also just lets them know, hey, I actually did pay so-and-so. That's who I meant to pay. I, there's an extra level of assurance there. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I have to send another message. Hey, you know, Susie, did you get my payment? 
I know Susie got my payment because when I sent it, it said her name on the on the um, on, on the, the little instruction. Yeah, avoids that uncomfortable moment of, hey, you know, you still owe me 20 bucks. What, what do you mean? I, I paid you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, before we run out of time here, because I like that uh, confirmation of payee too, and I do want to do a quick plug for you. Folks, if you're looking for somebody to speak and educate you on when it comes to faster payments fraud, Andrew is the man. He's got a session that he does on what's happening around the world when it comes to faster payments and I mean globally and in, in, in the faster fraud. And I highly recommend you check that out. If you need to get a hold of him, let me know. I'll definitely put you in contact with him. He did a private session for me and some of my Payments Geeks friends, and it was amazing. So if you got a conference coming up, you want to have a webinar, you, you need to get with an expert to do some research for you, maybe some consulting, Andrew is your guy. That my last question for you is, here's where I want to end uh, on the last thing to, to have people thinking, and it's just really, it's easy. What's the first thing? What's the number one thing, really, that people need to do when it comes to building their faster payment strategy? Before you do anything else, go look at this, go do this. What would your answer be for that, that number one thing they should do first? What problem am I gonna solve for my clients? Without that, um, I'm not sure there's a point in and even implementing it. Uh, I, I, I would hesitate to say that every financial institution needs to have a faster payment strategy. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's an institution somewhere in the US that would say, you know what? We spoke to our clients and they actually don't necessarily want it, and at least not now. And therefore the cost of, of modernizing our system, does, it doesn't make sense right now. And that's a perfectly respectable answer to have. Although I would also argue you probably need to revisit that every one, two, three years, just to make sure that doesn't change. Um, but I think you need to be customer customer focused. Okay, and when you say that, what problem am I gonna solve for my clients, especially for let's go the bank route here, I'm not trying to exclude the credit unions, but the banks that are business and consumer focused, do they need to answer this question multiple times? Yeah, because because building, building a system, let's say that's set up um, to, to consumers, is going to be very different from one that's going to be set up for businesses. Um, they have very, very different needs and they have very different pain thresholds. For example, a consumer is not likely to pay, let's say 50 cents to make a faster payment. Um, the very simple reason is they have to have a good reason to pay extra in order to make that payment. Mm -hmm. Whereas with a business, it's very different. Um, and that's due to the business, the nature of business payments. Also businesses, tend to be a little bit more used to having to pay for these services, whereas consumers, you know, they're a little bit more, let's say, the spectrum with them is a little bit broader. Some are willing to make that make that payment for specific reasons. Others, you know, they just want the bare bones and they're not going to do it. So, yeah, you do need to, you need to um, answer that question for at least groups of market segments, not necessarily each market segment. Um, you know, maybe you need to Think of one of you know small retailers. One is going to be larger businesses. Another one might be say billers specifically. Um, you know, but yeah, you do need to answer it multiple times. 
All right. Well, we're running out of time. Uh, last thing is what, you know, I, I was saying if people need to get a hold of you, they can come to me. But where could people find you? I know you're on LinkedIn. What's another way if somebody is looking for building a pay payment strategy and maybe they need some payments consulting, something like that, or how they could go ahead and get a hold of you? Um, yeah, my, my email is just uh, andrew.gomez, uh, G-O-M-E-Z, at lipisadvisors.com. Uh, Lipis is L-I-P-I-S. Um, or lipisadvisors.com, our, our website, you can go there as well and send, uh, send an email and you can reach me that way. Or LinkedIn, I think that's also a good way. All right. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I'm the... Kevin Olson, the payments professor. And if you, if you didn't get Andrew's information, you can always email me. It's Kevin at paymentsprofessor.com. Of course, if you are listening and there is a topic, something that you would like to have, or maybe you're somebody who would like to be on the payments podium, maybe you know somebody who should be on the payments podium, again, email me, Kevin at paymentsprofessor.com. Uh, and I definitely would love to see what those topics are or who those speakers are. We've been discussing faster payment strategy. We've got more coming on faster payment strategy in the future, but for now, class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.